Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Before we begin this episode, I want to take a minute to tell you guys about a life-changing book called Pelvic Liberation. This book is written by Leslie Howard, a renowned yoga teacher who specializes in the use of yoga for pelvic floor disorders. After she suffered from her own hypertonic pelvic pain syndrome, she found tremendous relief through her yoga practice, which she talks about in great detail in the book. Throughout the past 12 years, Leslie has taught women of all ages how to practice yoga to help alleviate pelvic floor conditions. So I own this book, I read it so many times, and I truly believe that it is something that everyone listening, anyone who has any sort of pelvic pain could really benefit from. The book approaches yoga, breathing techniques, and self-inquiry through the lens of the female pelvis. Leslie does truly an amazing job of bringing a thoughtful, thorough, lighthearted, and therapeutic focus to a subject that can usually be difficult and scary. This book was written as a call to normalize the conversation around pelvic pain and to improve women's knowledge and awareness of their pelvis. The book includes detailed explanations of key yoga postures and breathing practices that are designed to heal and awaken the female pelvis. So Leslie and I have worked together to be able to provide all of the Women's Pelvic Pain podcast listeners a 10% discount on the book when you order it directly through her website. Her website is www.lesliehowardyoga.com. That's spelled Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D, Yoga, Y-O-G-A. And I will also include the direct link into the show notes if you want to access it that way. Um, And so if you add the book to your cart on her website, when you check out, there will be a box for a discount code. Into that box, enter the code pelvicflooryoga10, one word, no spaces. That's pelvicflooryoga10. And you will receive a 10% discount that will be directly applied to your order. Today, we are here with a pelvic pain patient who we got connected to through a doctor that we both know pretty closely, and we found out that we also have the same pelvic floor physical therapist, Um, and so this is actually, she has an interesting story because she recently got Botox for her pelvic pain, and she also kind of figured out many ways to navigate the process of having insurance cover the cost of Botox and different programs that can help people with the cost um, of pelvic floor Botox. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. 
I really appreciate it. And I know that you're going to have so much helpful information to share to all of the listeners. Um, so will you just first give us a little introduction about yourself and what you've been through with your pelvic pain? So I, I have a healthcare background. And so I had a bit of experience navigating um, some of these different therapies. I majored in biomedical engineering at Yale and then went on to do healthcare finance. I currently work at JP Morgan Asset Management, um, covering therapeutic stocks like pharma and biotech, uh, including Allergan, who of course um, manufactures and produces Botox. So basically my story starts at the beginning of this year. Um, in 2018, I started having some extreme pelvic pain. Um, I didn't know how to characterize it. I, it kind of felt like the worst UTI I'd ever had, um, but but a bit more like predominant on in my whole like pelvic area, and you know I had a lot of pain during sex. Um, it it really hurt a lot to sit. So because I have a desk job and you know work several hours a day just just sitting, that interrupted my normal lifestyle a lot, um, and I didn't really know how to I guess proceed with um, getting treatment for this because I went to probably at least 15 different doctors and they misdiagnosed it as oh it's a UTI, um, it's an ovarian cyst. I had, I also had an IUD and so they thought maybe it was some associated issues with that. Um, endometriosis, there were many different diagnoses that were made that mm -hmm. I just, I kind of felt, you know, viscerally like this is just incorrect with, with how I feel and the treatments for them didn't work so kind of through trial and error I eventually just decided to research what I had on my own. And so I just Googled my symptoms for weeks and eventually came across this article in Elle about a woman who um, had pelvic floor dysfunction was also misdiagnosed with um, interstitial cystitis, which is one of the things, mm -hmm. one of the many doctors I went to had misdiagnosed me with. Um, and interstitial cystitis is more of a chronic bladder disorder. Right. Um, with my issue, it was much more focused on like certain muscles that were spasming. And I I didn't um, know that I had it at the time, but I read the article and found out that you could get it diagnosed by going to a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And so I um, I went to a physical therapist, her name is Marianne Ryan, in um, the Midtown area, and she said, oh yeah, this is definitely what you have. It, right. Fortunately, it's something that can be temporary and it can happen um, from any number of things, from stress, um, you know, from, from hernias, from some underlying chronic condition. I knew that I didn't have any underlying chronic conditions like endometriosis. So I kind of, you know, concluded that it was a stress related thing. Um, I, uh, some of the healthcare team at JP Morgan had left and I, I had a lot more work responsibility. And so I, I'd kind of been pretty stressed out mm -hmm. uh, as it is. So, um, I think it was just like an acute reaction to this and so then that's when everything started getting better and I, I got on the path to treatment. I ended up finding Dr. Med at um, Pelvic Pain Rehab just through um, Googling. Mm -hmm. And I found out that they have a group of women who can treat this condition. Um, and so once I went to her, then she referred me to um, a better urologist, to five-point physical therapy, um, and eventually the, the whole Botox process. And so that's when things really started getting better. It's been, so I got diagnosed in um, probably March or April, mm -hmm. a few months after I started having symptoms, which is good because the earlier you, you diagnose things, the, the, better. The, the better the outcomes usually are. Right. Um, and so then that's when I started cycling through like different treatments with Dr. Med and like various other doctors. Mm -hmm. And 
so in terms of the Botox, was Dr. Ahmed the doctor that recommended you do the pelvic floor Botox? Well, so she started with um, these, like, steroid injections, mm-hmm. the, the typical trigger point injections right. that you get. And eventually, because I was just not responding, my, my response had sort of plateaued at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read that she used to do Botox at her practice, uh, Dr. Shikandi did. Mm-hmm. And so I just looked up, like, oh, can you use Botox in pelvic floor dysfunction? Just because, you know, logically Botox paralyzes muscles. And so right. I thought... That oh, could well, work. this could work, yeah. And so she wasn't the one who directly referred me, but referred me to it. But I did find out through her practice because they used to do it. Right, it's something that can be done. Um, and so I researched on my own, like different doctors in the city. I um, I researched several who can do Botox or the pelvic floor, since it's not formally approved mm-hmm. um, and on the Botox label. Um, and so I researched several doctors, and the most inexpensive one, the one that worked the best with um you know, using insurance and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the lowest out-of-pocket costs was uh, Dr. Corey Hunter. And mm-hmm. he's, so he's in Midtown. Um, it ended up only being about $1,000, mm-hmm. $1,200 or so for mm-hmm. the whole process, which is much uh, less expensive versus some of uh, the other doctors in the area. Right. So that's how I ended up going with him. So can you just give us like a brief synopsis? Why did you do it? Was it helpful? And were there any side effects that you had and anything else that you think would be helpful to share? Yeah, sure. So part of why I decided to do it is I am very aware of Allergan. Um, They're a great company. They have an open science model. They've been manufacturing Botox for a long time and Mm -hmm. have done a ton of research into different uses for Botox. So um, actually a a pretty huge portion of the revenues for Botox is in therapeutic indications such as migraine and uh, focal dystonia. And most people think it's for cosmetic. Yeah, most people just assume it's, it's for aesthetic purposes only um, because that's what's advertised to consumers. Right. Um, but that's not actually the, the case. It can be used for a lot of therapeutic um, indications. The majority of use today, I think 40 or 50 percent, is in migraine, but mm-hmm. um, it's also used, used in 11 or 12 different other indications like focal dystonia, uh, cervical dystonia, um, things like that. And so... Basically, Botox paralyzes the muscle, and so it can help weaken it over time. And of course, if you have pelvic floor um, or hypertonic pelvic floor, mm-hmm. then theoretically the muscles would weaken and the, the spasms would kind of get relaxed. Right. Um, the other thing that I knew from from having covered Allergan is is that the effect of Botox is temporary. Um, most people get repeat injections anywhere from three to six months after they get their first injection. Mm-hmm. It naturally wears off, and so even if it doesn't work for you or for some reason you have side effects from it, which are very rare, um, you can always just stop taking it. Right. Um, and so It's I, not I, permanent. Yeah, it's not permanent, so I thought that was, you know, a, um, a great benefit to the therapy as well. Right. So that's, that's kind of how I became aware of it and decided to use it, um, and I found Dr. Hunter in uh, Midtown, and... Basically, what he does is he he asks you to go to a physical therapist first. So Mm -hmm. I use five point physical therapy to identify which muscles are the most refractory and which ones are the ones that are, um, you know, I guess like less less responsive to steroid or um, trigger point injections Mm -hmm. or um, are the most severe and causing the most pain. Pain, Right. And then he can inject more in those areas. So it is somewhat of a tailored treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a double edged sword because on the one hand, the fact that it's tailored can, you know, really augment a patient's response. 
um, to be better. But on the other hand, it's it's one reason um, clinical trials haven't been able to like start as, as easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to Allergan about it. Uh, Dr. Mitchell Brin, who is um, he's basically like the the father of Botox. Like he he injected the very first patient with vaginismus ever. Wow. In, um, in the world. So I spoke to him at, um, at an Allergan event when I was going down to like, uh, for an R&D day to see the CEO and C- CFO and then uh, Dr. Bryn Mitchell. And he talked about Botox's various uses, like their pipeline of um, different clinical trials they're going into. And I told him my story and then he explained, oh, well, you know, actually we, we are researching this um, to go into clinical, tr- cl- clinical trials, but one of the impediments is just that you know um, it's hard to standardize these clinical trials because patients have different muscles that are you know more severe. Um, patients have to have somewhat of like a self-awareness and understanding of, of their body. Of their body, right. and of course you you have to have like some level of physical therapy beforehand. Right. Um, so it's hard to just like enroll you know hundreds of patients into a clinical trial and get kind of like a consistent result. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you have to think about, oh, would you compare it to a placebo? You know, most patients don't want to enroll and get nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or would you compare it to an active comparator? Um, something like a trigger point injection. <clears throat> right. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are some of the considerations that have been holding back um, clinical research in PFD uh, using Botox. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I got it. And um, I had certain muscles that just hadn't really responded well um, to the trigger point injections where the, the, the response had plateaued. Um, and so I, I ended up getting Botox in, in those muscles first. Um, some of the more superficial ones don't necessarily respond as well because they're close to the sphincter. So mm-hmm. you can get side effects like incontinence. Right. Um, you know, meaning that you like pee your pants right. or <laughs> feel the urge to. So he, he did, he was conservative. He didn't inject those, but he did inject some of the deeper ones that mm-hmm. I had issues with, like the obturators, right. uh, pubococcygeal muscles. And, I have issues um, with the same muscles. Yeah, yeah, and those responded really well. Uh huh. So, and you felt a lot of relief from it. Yeah, I, at first, I, I have to admit, the first two weeks, I was a little skeptical. Uh huh. I think my body was like getting used to it. Um, right. Doctor Hunter told me that most patients stop having the the soreness from just the injection after three to five days. But for some R- reason, mine felt, was for two weeks. <laughs> you felt I don't know sore. Why. Yeah, I just felt very sore. Um, my muscles were still pretty tight. Uh huh. And the Botox just hadn't, I guess, taken effect right. yet. Um, it takes some time, and so everyone's a little bit different. But I, you know, I was patient, and eventually I started feeling a lot better. By mm-hmm. the third or fourth week, um, I was able to go back to pretty much like having almost painless sex, which is that's a amazing, huge, huge milestone for me. I, yeah. Before that, pretty much from you know February when I started having symptoms until when I got the Botox in the summer, I got it in August. I had not been able to have sex, sex without pain, like right. at all. Um, this was February, yeah, two. February of this year. Uh huh. Yeah. And you had the injections in what month again? In August. In August. Yeah. So I I tried the trigger point injections in physical therapy first, which definitely helped and took the edge off, but but not enough. I think for my case, I had such a severe case, and I'd had like a few months before I actually got diagnosed. So mm-hmm. the. Um, my symptoms had really become a lot more severe by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed something like a reset, I guess right. that's the best way to put it, um, to just kind of allow the muscles to finally relax um, and then be able to work with physical therapy and like dilators more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that 
was really great. The Botox was definitely a great reset in that sense. Um, I guess the bad thing is it's not actually helping the underlying condition in the long term because mm -hmm. you do need to get you know repeat injections of Botox usually. Um, Dr. Hunter said that something like 40 or 50 percent of his patients actually don't have to get repeat injections. They just right. responded the first ones and then from other treatments like physical therapy or um, Valium suppositories, trigger point injections, whatever it may be, they just, um, they're, those treatments are more effective because of the Botox reset and then they just don't need anything after. Um, but still, a lot of patients do need to get Botox repeatedly. Um, so in my case, I, I actually feel well enough that I don't think I need to get Botox again. And how many months ago was this again? So I got the Botox in August. It's now December. So about four months. Yeah, about yeah. four months ago. And you feel equally as the same in a good way as you did like when it started to work like it hasn't worn off yeah it definitely hasn't um I, I well I think I shouldn't say that it hasn't worn off I just think the effects of other treatments I also got a2m with uh dr med what is I, that a2m is um alpha 2 macrogoblin treatment I don't know so it's it's basically like a it's almost like platelet reinfusion therapy if you've ever heard of prp yeah 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 um so when um a lot of people with arthritis get this they you know, you take out your blood, you spin it down, right, and then re-inject it back in to uh, joints. And they did that, that into your issues. pelvic floor. Yeah. So Dr. Ahmed can do this in her office. It's somewhat of a novel treatment, um, but in this case, she isolates. So you isolate the blood plasma, and then within that, you enrich it for um, A2M, which is an anti-inflammatory protein, and so that helps. That actually helps treat like the underlying condition. Um, it helps take away inflammation in the area. It it takes a while to work. Um, but I've already started feeling effects. I got it three weeks ago. And so I think That's from that so cool. and like the physical therapy, uh, more aggressive physical therapy after my Botox, um, more aggressive dilator use, and just being able to return to my normal lifestyle, um, things have improved a lot. And then I guess the second really large factor, which I didn't mention, is that I also had um, a lot of hernias yeah. <laughs> in my areas, in my uh, pelvic area. And so... That was something that didn't get diagnosed until, I think, after I got the Botox, actually. No, 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 before. Uh-huh. Before, yeah. And I decided to do the Botox because um, when you have hernias, it requires, you know, more extensive surgery. Um, and so I, I couldn't get surgery and then get Botox because right. you need somewhat of a recovery period. So I decided to get the Botox and then get surgery on my hernias. And I think the combination of having... You know the hernias treated mm -hmm. and all of that like um i guess because the hernias cause my abdominal muscles to weaken and then put more pressure on my pelvic floor having that roadblock out of the way and also having the effects of botox and being able to you know have more aggressive physical therapy and dilator use with that um help really treat the underlying condition and i'm, I'm not back to you know where i was before i started having symptoms right but i'm back to the point where i can function pretty normally i can sit for you know an hour without pain um, which definitely wasn't possible when i first started having this i can you know have sex without pain most of the time um and you know have normal bathroom symptoms right um and so i know with myself since i recently got botox for my pelvic pain it was really really stressful and aggravating to kind of navigate the healthcare companies and insurance companies in order to get approval um, which I ultimately did get but it was definitely a hard process and 
I am aware that, you know, I have really good health insurance, but most people don't. And it's really, really challenging to get your healthcare companies to approve Botox for pelvic pain. Um, so can you discuss how you navigated this process? Because I know that you had some success with this and this is a treatment that's thousands and thousands of dollars. It's really not affordable for most people. Um, and then I know you also mentioned some different programs that you discovered that people can apply to in order to receive some sort of benefit for the procedure. I might be butchering this explanation, but can you kind of get into a little bit of detail about what you found while you were doing your research on this? Yeah, sure. So Botox is not formally FDA approved right. um, for pelvic floor dysfunction. And so that's why it, it often isn't approved and, you know, in, insured by insurance companies. Um, however, some doctors are able to submit through insurance um, a, a claim for, say, focal dystonia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it can get reimbursed or supposedly some doctors have had some success actually submitting claims for pelvic floor dysfunction um, and their insurance approves it. Mm -hmm. How different insurances approve, you know, different claims and and why they approve it for some patients and not others, I'm not really sure. It seems very convoluted. Um, But nonetheless, I asked Dr. Hunter how many of his patients actually get the claims approved and he said it's something like 30 to 40 percent of his patients. And then the other 60 to 70 percent end up having to just pay out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are two programs that Allergan has to help lower out-of-pocket costs for patients. The first one is called the Botox Savings Program. So that one anyone can use, regardless of your insurance status, your income status, um, what indication you're trying to get Botox approved for. And I'm going to link all of this in the show notes so that if people just want to easily have access to these different programs, there'll be links in the notes of the show and they can just access it that way. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the Botox Savings Program can be used regardless of you know income status or what indication you're trying to um, get a claim for um, or insurance, wh- whatever. You just have to have the claim actually approved by insurance. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the roadblock there. Right. Um, so, for example, if Dr. Hunter had submitted the claim for focal dystonia and it had actually been approved, and then my insurance said, oh, you have, say, $700 of out-of-pocket obligation or responsibility um, for the Botox treatment, mm-hmm. then the Botox Savings Program could basically cover all of that copay. Wow. And this is a program that is you know, funded by Allergan. Um, Allergan does it, and so they're basically paying for this. Um, that's amazing. And then, the, so that's for anyone, regardless of income status, um, as long as you get the claim approved. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's the rate limiting step there. The second one is the Botox Patient Assistance Program. Um, th- that program is for uninsured and low income individuals mm-hmm. who want to use Botox but just can't afford it, mm-hmm. um, can't afford the out of pocket copay. Um, or in, in my case, I, I wasn't approved. Let's say I made under in New York it's like I think 120,000 or I forget the exact income threshold but let's say made under the income threshold then Allergan would pay for my Botox essentially Um, but however you have to if you do have insurance you have to get denied twice Um, this is what Dr. Ahmed told me you have to get denied twice before the Botox patient assistance program will actually 
pay for it for you because they want to see that you know you tried to get it covered and that you like really really yeah. need it and that you really need it right um or if you're uninsured I, I spoke with a representative on the phone if you're uninsured or you're low income and the income threshold varies by city and by state um you just you know send in an application and they can cover all of it mm-hmm. so that's a great program i think in in most people in that um most people are not aware of it and so i think either program is is definitely worth a shot using when i when i spoke to um, dr hunter and dr med they totally weren't aware of these programs um and they can apply to a lot of people and in my case i was above the income threshold and i also didn't have my claim approved by insurance so i didn't qualify for either program but in the future if i use botox for therapeutic use i would definitely try and um you know, use one of those programs. The other thing that I want you to touch upon is that I know you've worked with Allergan a lot, and I was just wondering if you're aware of any plans that Allergan has to kind of get pelvic floor Botox more widely approved for health insurance companies and benefits. Yeah, yeah. So I, I spoke with um, Dr. Mitchell Brin at Allergan, and he told me there's a, actually a, a really broad pipeline they're trying to get approved um, for uh, for Botox, including depression, um, osteoarthritis. It, of course, as you know, it's already approved for a bunch of indications like migraine and mm-hmm. um, focal dystonia, cervical dystonia, things like that. So they're trying to, to broaden their pipeline and like the number of approved indications that Botox can go into. Um, and, and so they are working on pelvic floor dysfunction, but I think they weren't aware of how broad the market actually is and how many women and men are suffering from right. from this condition. And that's something that I tried to clarify for Allergan. Um, I used to work with two people who are now the head of investor relations and um, in corporate development at Allergan. And so I communicate with them on a weekly basis and um, told them about my issues and how much Botox had helped me. And they immediately said, oh, you have to talk to Dr. Mitchell Brin. He's our Botox like head of R&D. And so I, I went to this um, R&D day at Allergan and spoke to him, and he told me that he's definitely aware of the issue. He just wasn't aware how many patients actually have this problem mm-hmm. um, or that both women and men uh, suffer from this issue. And actually, yeah, 40% of pelvic floor dysfunction patients are, are men. Are men, yeah. Um, and, of course, I think people just aren't aware that at least widely aware that Botox is something that can be a really effective treatment, mm-hmm. um, especially in more severe cases. And so the way it works is with their clinical trial development timelines, um, they have, you know, a, a broad um, list of indications they want to get formally approved by the FDA. But of course, each of these clinical trials can cost anywhere from like, you know, $50 million to $200 million wow. per phase of development. Um, so the upfront cost to allergan into any you know r&d company is is very high uh-huh. um they have to pay for all the clinical trial sites they have to pay the doctors to run the trials of course they have to provide the free drug um, all the data analysis and so it can be quite expensive for them so they tend to prioritize it based on things like how big the market is um you know what is the actual necessity for this product in this market how high is the unmet need and um is this something the fda is paying attention to and is likely to get approved I think pelvic floor dysfunction for Botox checks all of those boxes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've been on this campaign to try and make Allergan more aware of it and hopefully formally put it into clinical trials. 
um, they've been very receptive about it. And as I, as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Bryn Mitchell, the Botox head of R&D, said that they're moving up their priority timelines. Which is amazing. Um, so, for example, instead of getting a clinical trial for it in you know, 2027 or whatever date it was originally, now they're paying more attention to it and it could move up to you know, the early 2020s or something right. like that and then hopefully be approved by the FDA you know, within the next, hopefully within the next five to 10 years. <laughs> I know but that seems like a but long that's time. that's still um, but yeah, amazing. Eventually it, it should get approved, I mm-hmm. think. And once it's approved, I would think, but correct me if I'm wrong, that more doctors who are treating, I mean, more gynecologists and more doctors who are treating pelvic pain will know about Botox as a treatment for pelvic pain because I've been to so many gynecologists and different doctors for my pelvic pain and only one of them discuss the option of Botox and in addition to my pelvic floor physical therapist but a lot of the gynecologists I went to had never even talked about pelvic floor Botox so I would assume that once it's approved by the FDA many more doctors will start to offer it as treatments in their practice. Yeah no I I definitely think so and of course there's a huge camp of doctors who Mm -hmm. are just conservative and don't want to use off-label treatments or you know, it takes a lot of time to go through this messy reimbursement process right. and like negotiation with insurance. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's not something that has been formally studied in a large group of patients um, or in clinical trials. And so maybe they're worried about the side effects or they're worried about the long term mm-hmm. um, effects on your health. And so that's why I think some doctors just if, if they are aware of it, aren't willing to use it or you know, just aren't aware of it all because it's not something that's approved. Right. So, yeah, I think it would be a lot more broadly used. I mean, think about how many patients use Botox for migraine. It's at at least um, 200,000 in the U.S. And so once it does get formally approved, this is, it's such a large market. Um, There's so many people who have this problem and would benefit from Botox. I think it's something that would get great uptake. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. This was fascinating. If anyone wants to contact you, do you want to provide your email for them? Yeah, sure. It's um, Lee S. Boynton, so mm-hmm. L-I-S-B-O-Y-N-T-O-N at gmail.com. Amazing. So if anyone listening has any questions regarding any of the things that we talked about, send Lee an email and she will definitely get back to you. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Lee. This was really, really interesting information that we've never talked about on the podcast. So I'm glad that we got to do this tonight. And don't forget to leave your feedback and rate this episode five stars and stay tuned for the next episode. 